offering our most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Try on Pilgrimage. This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai, and I have this pleasure of joining you again this Thursday on a fresh episode of our Gita series where we go through the Bhagavad Gita verse by verse. And more importantly, we also have the opportunity to go into Swami's own literature, specifically the Gita Vahini and of course the discourses that Swami delivered on the Bhagavad Gita in the year 1984 in a series of discourses. It gives me great pleasure also to note that this happens to be the 100th episode of the Gita series. My heartfelt gratitude to each one of you for giving me this opportunity for joining me on this journey. Well, for me, it is a reminder of how much Swami can achieve through you. And that is much, much more than what you can ever imagine, that what you set out to achieve. And uh, I know that I concede this is not the best exposition on the Gita, but definitely it is way, way beyond what I could have conceived that I am capable of. And for that, I am extremely grateful to Swami. I, I can't express my gratitude to Swami, but I express my gratitude to each one of you for giving me this opportunity because if not for all of you, I don't think I would have had the opportunity to go into the Gita in such depth and have the opportunity to learn and dive into this ocean of knowledge that the Bhagavad Gita is. As always, we'll start with a short summary of what we did last time and I'll give you a picture of where we are in the Bhagavad Gita. We are in the seventh chapter, a little past the midway, you could say. We covered three verses last time, verses 14, 15 and 16. And we are in that portion where Krishna is talking about those who are devoted to him or more precisely, he spoke about the nature of God. He spoke about delusion. He spoke about who is caught up in the delusion. And we are in that part where he's going to speak about who is able to transcend this delusion of his. As he said, it is my Maya. The 14th verse, Krishna explains why people get deluded in the first place. And then he also spoke of how one can overcome it. He says, my Maya, as I just mentioned, and that is a sign of how Maya is of divine origin and it is difficult to overcome. And that is the reason why people get deluded. The Triguna Maya, the Maya which is made up of the Trigunas, deludes the people and because of which they are not able to see beyond that. But in the same shloka, he says that those who take refuge in me, those who take refuge in the Lord, will be able to cross this Maya. We then briefly discussed about the concept of Maya itself. That beautiful analogy that Swami gives of how God is the owner of a house at whose gate is tied up this ferocious dog which is akin to Maya. And if you want to go past this dog which is tied there, there are two ways. One, you convince yourself that you and the master are one, in which case the dog looks at you as the master and allows you to pass. Or you call out to the master and the master comes down and in his presence, the maya does not touch you. And Swami said that that is the difference between the path of self-inquiry leading to oneness with divinity and the other one being the path of bhakti, which is more or less something that we are going to talk about today. But uh, the beauty about this concept of maya, Swami says maya is divine and it is his very nature but also says 
that it is the Maya that deludes. In the 15th shloka, Krishna explains who is likely to be befooled by this Maya, and that gives us a hint about this nature of Maya because it is twofold. It deludes, but it is divine, and it being divine, it also becomes a means by which a devotee can reach out to the Lord. We spoke about that, and we're going to repeat all of that. So, in the next shloka, the 15th shloka, Krishna says that the Dushkritinaha, the evildoers, Asuram Bhavam Ashritaha, those who have resorted to a demonic lifestyle, these are the ones who get deluded by Maya. So, instead of saying that who is able to take refuge in the Lord, Krishna gives the opposite of who are the ones who are not able to and who are getting deluded. So, he says Dushkritinaha those who give themselves up to evil tasks. And we also spoke of how this is not a mere random slip in one's righteous life. We are talking about evildoers who have made it a practice and have ended up accumulating enormous amounts of bad karma. They are the ones who further get deluded, they are led to do further wrong acts and they are taken further and further away from the goal. In the 16th shloka, Krishna speaks about those who do not get caught up in this Maya or who begin to make their way past this Maya towards the Lord. So Krishna says, among those that who have given themselves up to a virtuous means of living. In the previous shloka, he spoke about Dushkritinaha. Here he speaks about the Sukritinaha, those who do good actions. And among those people who have taken to a virtuous means of life, there are some people who take refuge in the Lord or who turn to the Lord in some form of the other, some reason or the other. And they can be categorized into four types. Chaturvidaha, as he says. And they are Arthaha, the distressed or those who are in some form of crisis or in need or pain. Jignasuhu, the seeker of knowledge. Artharthi, the seeker of wealth. And finally, a jnani, the wise one. Swami very clearly states that uh, though the highest form of devotion is to seek God and nothing from the world, you should not seek anything from God, right? That's a fair definition of what pure devotion is. Even though that is the ultimate state that we all are heading towards, we should be heading towards, Swami says that it is better that these virtuous ones turn to God instead of turning to mere mortals like themselves in the world. Swami says that everyone has needs till we are able to overcome desires. There will be needs, there will be crisis. So those who turn to God are much better or they show a sign of wisdom. Right? Before we move ahead and go to the shlokas that follow, let us spend a little more time in this concept of the four types of devotees. Arthi, Artharthi, Jignasu and Jnani. One beautiful thing that we saw last week and I just mentioned is how Swami gives the title of a devotee to all of these people. Even those who come to God in search of some form of relief from pain or seeking wealth and luxuries. All of these people are also spoken of as devotees by Krishna or those who worship Him. Right? There is a difference between those who worship him and those who are devoted. We'll come to that also in a brief while. 
Swami says the moment an individual turns to God, for whatever reason, he or she is exhibiting a sign of wisdom. Because the moment you have any need and even as you are trying to acquire that need or satisfy that need, when you turn to God, there is that little bit of acknowledgement that is coming in that, that is, there is more in this world that cannot be attained or achieved only by human effort. Right? We have spoken about this even when we were doing the portion on Karma Yoga where a little bit of prayer makes you humble because you are acknowledging that everything is not obtained by my own effort. But having turned to God, then the onus is on the devotee to take progressive steps towards surrender. That surrender which Krishna spoke of as something that helps one go beyond Maya. Talking about these four types of devotees, there is a beautiful Chinakata that Swami would often narrate and I am sure many of our listeners would be familiar with that story. Swami says that there was once a very rich businessman who had four wives. He was on this long business trip abroad and before he was heading back home, he writes a letter to all these four wives of his saying that I am going to come back very soon. If you want anything from where I am, the country I am visiting, do let me know. I will get them for you. Swami says the youngest wife was one whom in modern parlance we would refer to as a fashionista. She was very interested in fine silk and exquisite jewellery. So she writes to the husband asking him to get something which is a representation of the latest fashion from that foreign land that the husband was visiting. The second wife was one of frail health and she would often keep falling ill. So she writes to the husband asking for some medicines for her. Maybe she asked for something what we are hearing this term so often these days, immunoboosters. Probably she wrote to him asking for some immunoboosters from the land where he was visiting. The third wife was one who had a very philosophical and spiritual bent of mind. So she asked the husband whether he could get for her some spiritual literature some granthas and all that from the place where he is visiting, maybe prasadam from the local temples, pictures of holy men and deities that are worshipped there. The first wife writes to the husband saying, I don't want anything. If you come back safely, that is all I would want and that would make me most happy. So Swami says this husband, when he comes back, he gets these various things that each one of his wives have asked of from him. He sends it to the quarters of these wives and then he himself goes to the quarters of the first wife. When the other three wives get to know that the husband has gone and settled in this quarters of the first wife, they come to him and ask him that why they have ignored him, and why he has ignored them, why he is being partial towards the first wife. And the husband says, but I am not being partial, I have only given what each one of you have asked for. You asked for books, I got you books, you asked for Clothes and jewellery, I got you that. You asked for medicines, I got you that. Only the first wife asked for me. So I have myself come to her. Swami would narrate this beautiful story and say that the husband is like God. And these four wives are the four types of devotees, Arti, Arthati, Jignasu and Jnani. There is another important point that one has to keep in mind and taking clue from the Chinnakata itself. The wife who asked for philosophical books 
इस जिज्ञासा इवन बिफोर दी हजबेंड गेट्स हर द बुक्स द वाइफ हु सीक्स ज्वेलरी एंड द फाइन थिंग्स ऑफ लग्जूरियस थिंग्स इज एन अर्थार्थी बिकॉज शी सीक्स दोज थिंग्स नॉट बिकॉज द हजबेंड गॉट हर दोज थिंग्स वॉट वी सीक इन लाइफ डिफाइन्स हु वी आर something i have said even before on the series where we are what we are doing does not necessarily define us i might be sitting in the ashram you might be in one of the richest cities in the world but that doesn't make me a spiritual man and that doesn't make you a worldly person if being in samsara in the world doing a profession in your corporate life or running a business or whatever but you are seeking the lord earnestly then you become a devotee if you are seeking deeper questions in your life you become a mumukshu you become a jignasu right so what you seek what you pray for is what defines who you are not necessarily where you are born what you are doing at that point in time so on and so forth and that is a very significant thing about this categorization of four types of devotees they are categorized on the basis of what one seeks also swami says very clearly that this is not just four distinct categories these are also four stages that a devotee goes through that's a very important point that swami makes swami explained this in the very first discourse that swami gave as part of those gita discourses in the year 1984 swami says in that discourse and i quote as soon as an infant is born he is referred to as a child after 10 years we call him a boy the same boy after 30 years is referred to as a man the same man at 75 years of age is called a grandfather a great grandfather so on and so forth but this child boy man and grandfather are one and the same individual similarly in the beginning one starts as an artha then he becomes artharthi then a jignasu and finally a nyani the stages at which these four types of people are operating may be different but their supreme goal namely divinity is the same it is a process for gradual evolution from one stage to the other and for this evolution sadhana is required end of quote so in summary the virtuous or sukritinaha who eventually turn to god because of the accumulated merit are of four types but truly speaking these are also four stages or four legs of the same journey an arthi turns to god when in pain because he or she believes the only source of suffering is the problem at hand that is what is causing them peacelessness and there is this strong conviction and belief that if they can solve the problem that that is troubling them at that point then there can be peace but eventually an artha devotee realizes that there is so much more to obtain from god and then starts turning to god to satisfy all needs right and we have plenty of them as we grow even as we go through this journey called life but even at this stage one believes that possessing materials be it name fame luxury and possessions or whatever it is that is what is going to give them happiness and peace eventually the devotee realizes that it is not so 
Sometimes you could have everything in life which everybody else craves for, but still you can suffer from an incurable feeling of emptiness. And when that happens, the devotee slowly turns to the search or quest for meaning and purpose in one's life. It is at that time one becomes a jignasa. And even as I explain this progression, one thing must be striking to you that most of us have all of these traits. I am seeking knowledge and the purpose of life, but still when I fall sick, I am going to be in enormous pain and I am going to look at Swami and say, Swami, please relieve me of this pain. Or occasionally I find myself praying for a raise in my salary or promotion, but that does not make me a person who is always looking only for that from God. I feel the progression through these categories is not necessarily digital. It's not like so many years you are an Artha and then you become an Arthartha and then you become a Jignasu and a Jnani. The progression is very gradual. If I could put it this way, the percentage of our prayers in these categories will gradually undergo a change and you will find that troubles or pains of the body or needs of the body are lesser and lesser important to you in your prayers. Similarly, the comforts in life and the successes in life do not matter as much. And slowly you will find a change in the way you approach God and things that you seek from God. And eventually we reach the state of a jnani, the fourth category of devotee, the one who knows. Right? A jnani is one who has knowledge. So going by these categories, what is that knowledge that the jnani has? If you say that these three people don't know something and the jnani knows that, what is it that the jnani knows? When I seek anything, be it relief from pain, wealth or knowledge, what I am stating is that the present is not good enough. What I am right now is not good enough. My present state is incomplete. But when you talk of a jnani, a jnani is one who has acquired that knowledge that the present is perfect. What he or she is, is perfect. Because all knowledge is within. All one needs is within. One is complete in oneself. right? And when that knowledge comes, there is nothing to seek. There is no future to look forward to. The present is perfect. And every moment is perfect in itself. Anyways, in the next few shlokas, Krishna is going to speak about jnanis. There are different ways of looking at jnanis. And I don't have to say that we've spoken about jnanis so much in the previous chapters too. Before that, a question that comes to mind is, why is a jnani also counted among devotees? Right? When you're talking of devotees, you talk of different kinds of devotees, good devotee, bad devotee, mature devotee, immature devotee. Why do you bring in a jnani in this categorization of devotee? One way, as I said, is to look at it as this way, that a jnani knows that the present is perfect, whereas the other three categories of people don't know that. But there is also another subtle reason why jnana is spoken of when Krishna is speaking about bhakti. Just like we still have remnants of artha nature, even while we have jignasu nature, is there a possibility that there is a little bit of jnani in each one of us too? Are there any traits to a jnani which you can look for in yourself and probably foster it if, it, if at all it is possible? These questions we'll address but after we listen to the next shloka, there's also a very beautiful chinnakata that Swami speaks of, of why a jnani is spoken of 
and in the same breath as a bhakta that chanakatha will also have to wait we we'll listen to the 17th verse of the 7th chapter as always we we'll listen to it in the very clear and beautiful rendition of brother sham i'll give you a brief meaning of that shloka and then we'll discuss in detail about what krishna says there tesham jnani nitya yukta ek bhaktir vishishyate priyo hi jnani notyartham aham sachamam priyah of them the man of knowledge endowed with constant steadfastness and one pointed devotion excels for i am very much dear to the man of knowledge and he too is dear to me so that is the 17th verse of the 7th chapter krishna described the four types of devotees but who is a devotee when you say the word or when you use the term devotee who is a devotee in english when we say devotee it means one who is devoted to something or someone one who is committed to right but here krishna is not using the word devotee in that sense in fact krishna has not used the word bhakta at all in any of these verses he had said chaturvidha bhajante mam janaha sukritinaha of the virtuous people who worship me bhajante mam he says bhajati means to worship or revere there's a subtle difference between being devoted to and worshiping as swami explained in gita vaini yes turning to god at times of pain is a sign that you recognize that there is no point in turning to others who are pretty much like you in this world as lost as you are in the case of an arthasti he turns to god for all needs right it's not only at times of emergency that he turns to god or he she turns to god whenever there is a need that person says that you know everything i seek i seek from the lord but still if you look at these people their goals are different when i pray to swami for a promotion my goal is the promotion and worshiping swami is the means so i am actually not devoted to swami as swami explained in the chinnakatha gnani is one who at all times seeks only god and as i was saying before i played the shloka here the gnani must be seen from the point of view of devotion or bhakti this is not to say that praying and doing devotional things is lesser compared to seeking gnana right that's one of the mistakes that that is often made when trying to explain this concept of these four types of devotees where he says see when krishna is saying that one who seeks knowledge is greater it is not merely like that jignasu and gnani is not spoken of primarily in that sense so this is not to say that praying and doing devotional things is in any way lesser compared to seeking or becoming a spiritual aspirant who is seeking for higher wisdom in fact a seeker of gnana is also spoken of as being lesser than a gnani here a jignasu is lesser than a gnani and a gnani here is not described the way krishna described him in the second chapter or when he was speaking about him in the context of karma yoga the devotees who belong to the other three categories have other goals and god as the means 
but the nyani has god has as the goal and has god as the means if you recall this is what krishna had said in the last shloka of the previous chapter there are many yogis but that yogi for whom i am the focus is dear to me and we had seen that i think uh, madgati that is the phrase that krishna uses which means the lord whose the goal also becomes the means right that is the definition of a devotee there may be many yogis but that yogi for whom i am the goal and i am the means the worshiping of me is the means he is dear to me and i think krishna is repeating that here in the context of sukritinah or virtuous people who have turned to god he says in the shloka tesham of them meaning of the four categories of devotees the nyani nitya yuktah who is ever steadfast ek bhakti hi whose devotion is one pointed vishishyate excels or stands out aham nyaninah atyartham priyah hi verily i am the most beloved for a nyani sacha mama priyah and he is dear to me such a beautiful statement aham nyaninah atyartham priyah hi sacha mama priyah i am the most beloved for the nyani and hence he is dear to me too a devotee who comes to the lord and says that nothing is more important than you o lord to me he doesn't come to the lord to attain anything he doesn't come seeking anything else to the lord he doesn't worship the lord even for knowledge or peace of mind or happiness the nyani is one who is interested only in god and when a devotee has such one pointed love for god krishna says he also becomes dear to me just like how swami said in the chinakatha the husband was not being partial towards any of the wives in fact he was being absolutely fair with all of them giving each one of them what they had asked for the wife who asked for him got him so there is no unfairness there so krishna is saying if you want me and only me then for me you become dear right that's the wonderful statement that krishna made in that shloka so in that sense the nyani is defined a little differently here right we will see that eventually the definition of a nyani is one and the same whether krishna spoke of him in the context of a spiritual aspirant a karma yogi or a sthita pragna the nyani is a nyani but the way the role of a nyani or the state of a nyani is approached is slightly different here whatever krishna spoke about nyani earlier still holds good as we will see but here krishna is speaking about the devotee who has come to the greatest of all wisdoms that one does not need anything at all but the caveat is the nyani is established in that wisdom that he is established in that wisdom he doesn't move or deter from that that's why he is a nitya yuktah one who is firmly established in that yukti so here is that beautiful chinakatha which i said i will narrate because here nyani is spoken of in the context of devotion to god right bhajante mam means one who worships me so krishna is counting a nyani a wise one among those who worship him swami narrated this in a discourse that he delivered in 
13th of January 1968 Swami says one day sage Narada happened to land on the sands of river Yamuna and he was extremely surprised at the deep silence that pervaded that entire place even the waters of the river flowed without a murmur not even the waves were splashing around no branches of the trees were moving even birds and insects were still not making any sounds the whole scene to him looked like it had been painted on a canvas it was so still and so quiet then narada looked around and he was wondering who's the cause for this kind of stillness and silence and he found a woman a young woman lost in meditation one look at her and he was so amazed to see the halo around her and to see the serenity on her countenance so he started wondering whether who is this person first of all and whether he could ever sit down and reach a state of such tranquility and this pious lady senses that there's somebody around and she opens her eyes then narada goes to her bows down to her and says mother who are you and what are you doing here and she says i am brahma vidya devata the deity presiding over brahma gnana or brahma vidya meaning she is the very embodiment of that supreme knowledge that anyani seeks and narada is amazed he says if you are brahma vidya devata what need do you have to meditate why this intense meditation so much so that even the nature is becoming still around you and you you've gone into such deep meditation is there a need to meditate after your knowledge itself and what are you meditating on he asks her and she looks at narada and says o sage i crave the supreme joy of contemplating on the lotus feet of krishna i sit here on the shores of yamuna and meditate on those divine feet making myself a gopi who has surrendered to him swami said in that this goes that this is the state of pure jnana where the devotee is so lost in thoughts of god not seeking anything but just that moment when the devotee is lost in thoughts of god one feels complete and perfect right it is not that if i get this i'll be happy no at this moment when i'm meditating on the feet of my master when i'm thinking of my lord i feel complete right i don't need anything else i don't need any other object not even knowledge not even peace not even happiness not even comfort or solace to my physical pain i have you that is all i need at this moment i'm thinking of swami and that is enough for me i'm sure each one of us would have had a glimpse of this state right i'm sure at some point we would have been lost in bhajans we'll be sitting in meditation or something and just the joy of thinking of swami and we would have said swami i don't need anything else this moment is good enough right i'm sure each one of us would have felt it and that's why i was saying that when you say arti artharthi jignasu and nyani yes arti artharthi jignasu we all would have experienced glimpses of that in our journey with swami at some time we have pain and we are praying at some time when we have need and when we are praying sometimes very deep philosophical thoughts trouble us and we seek answers from swami at some times we also feel this completeness when we are lost in thoughts of swami isn't it so even the fourth state of devotion has 
the experience of that we do experience it once in a while but of course the goal is to be established firmly in that state to become a nitya yukta sami would describe the state of gopikas to be like that right that is why in that chinnakatha swami says brahma vidya devata says i transform myself into a gopi and i am meditating on the feet of the lord swami would describe that that is the highest level that the gopikas had reached when uddhava comes to know about how the unlettered gopis and gopalas of vrindavan have been pining for krishna he thinks that they're all attached to krishna and that attachment is leading them to be in so much pain so he takes it upon himself to go and teach brahmagnana to these gopikas and krishna also says that okay you also go and try your luck i tried giving them gyan they didn't seem to be taking it so then uddhava says that oh you not told them properly i'll go and explain to them that we are not the body we are the lord and you know the typical advaita vedanta when he goes to brindavan the gopis very casually tell him one very profound truth they look at uddhava and say you know we would love to listen to what you have to say because you have come from krishna's presence and you are very dear to krishna and we would love to listen to the philosophy that you are going to teach us but what do we do we have only one mind and we have given it to krishna what can we do that was the state in which the gopis were a very exalted state of devotion where one loses that distinction between a devotee and a gnani the same discourse where swami narrated this chinnakatha swami says that krishna is called gopala go means the senses and gopala is the master of the senses meaning the atman which gives these senses the ability to perceive and act a gopi is one who has surrendered to this gopala and because of that surrender has transcended the senses so whatever be the reason we have come to swami whatever desires we may have presently we all are being led towards the state of a gopi as swami would ask who comes to me for me that's a question that swami would often ask you know you come to me for education you come to me for your well being of your family you come to me for your daughter's wedding you come to me for more wealth success in business who comes to me for me each one of us i think are edging towards the state where we can say with complete conviction to swami one day we'll say yes swami i am here only for you i want nothing else right and that is the highest state of jnana that swami is speaking about as the fourth category of devotees as i said krishna is going to further speak about this jnani he has spoken about the four types he says among the four the most dear is the jnani why is the jnani more dear when you give so much importance to me then you become important to me right that's what so beautifully he said in that uh, shloka in that one line krishna said you have given me importance right and you become important to me by that very fact we'll listen to the next shloka the 18th shloka and we'll see what krishna says in this one udara sarva evaite ज्ञानीत्मत आस्थित सुक्तात्मा 
noble indeed are all these but i deem the wise man as my very self for steadfast in mind he is established in me alone as the supreme goal that's the 18th verse and krishna reiterates again that all those who turn to god and are meritorious are praiseworthy udaraha sarva eva ete udaraha exalted sarve eva ete all of them the arti arthati jignasu all of them are sukritinaha so all those who are meritorious in their deeds and who have turned to god they all are praiseworthy but he goes on to say gnani tu but the gnani atma eva me matham in my view is one with myself it's a very profound statement that krishna is making about the gnani krishna says it is not that i love someone more than the others i find the gnani more dear than the artha arthati jignasu the gnani identifies with the lord and hence the lord also identifies with the gnani and as we have discussed before love becomes perfect only in oneness so krishna is saying he comes in front of me he says you know the gnani gnani tu atma eva me matam in my opinion the gnani has become one with me so where there is oneness that love becomes perfect but krishna doesn't say that the others are bad or lost also we must keep in mind that a virtuous life is the prerequisite if you were to come and ask oh so if i do whatever nonsense i want to do in my life and i worship swami if i come and sit in prashanti nilayam and if i do bhajans is it good enough absolutely not the first condition is you have to be a sukritina a person who resorts to good actions and in the 12th chapter krishna is going to give an extensive and exhaustive description of who is dear to him who is a devotee in his definition right such devotees whether they worship him for something worldly or spiritual they all have to be considered as being blessed and exalted and they all will eventually reach the goal in the gita vaini swami explains that it is only a matter of time before an arthi and atharthi also turn to god for knowledge and eventually turn to god for god himself swami says and i quote the gnani is free from delusion and is unaffected by the gunas the jignasa however is different he uses time for unbroken contemplation of the divine in pious deeds and holy thoughts and the other two the seeker of wealth arthati and the sufferer artha they gather elevating experiences ruminate over the real and unreal and transform themselves into seekers of knowledge later they become gnanis and are saved the goal is thus reached stage by stage you cannot attain the goal in one leap end of quote whatever i am quoting from the gita vaini today is from chapter 13 even last week i quoted some passages those were also from chapter 14 i keep forgetting to mention it pardon me for that so these are from chapter 13 of the gita vaini so swami clearly says the moment you turn to god you have already taken the road to redemption 
Remember, all this is in continuation of what Krishna started speaking in the previous chapter about a yoga brashta, one who has fallen from the path of yoga. In the second line of the shloka, Krishna says why he sees the jnani as being dear. In the first line, he says that the jnani somehow stands out. He is very special for me. But in the second one, he explains why the jnani is dear, something we just discussed a while ago. He says, Sahi yuktatma because he, the yuktatma, the one of steadfast mind, astitaha, is firmly established. Mam eva, in me alone, anuttamam gatim, as the supreme goal. Anuttamam gatim means the goal beyond which there is nothing more to seek. The ultimate goal, having achieved that, you don't have any more goals to look forward to. Which means, God is not a via media to attain something. God is the goal. God is the one the person is seeking. When you talk of the other three, they are worshipping God, they are turning to God, but they are seeking something else. As Swami says in the Gita Vahini, the Jnani has one-pointed devotion, while the others have devotion to multiple objects or states. The others are attached to the objects or the states they desire and for their sake are attached to the Lord also. They are devoted not merely to the Lord but also to the objective world. The jnanis do not raise the eyes towards anything other than the Lord. Even if they do, they see the Lord wherever their eyes are cast. End of quote. What a beautiful description. The jnani doesn't raise his or her eyes on anything other than the Lord. Even if they do, they see only the Lord. So in one line, Swami describes the state of the jnani, you could say on either side of the line, if there is any. A devotee who still has the mind and discriminates seeks only the Lord. And once that jnana is achieved, there is nothing other than the Lord. So even if he or she happens to cast their eyes on something, there is nothing but the Lord that they see. And this state is not achieved in one leap or in one step. And that Krishna states in the very next shloka, why this is something that happens over many, many lifetimes. He is going to say that. But in that one line that uh, in what Swami says in Gita Vaini, so beautifully he says, the jnanis do not raise their eyes towards anything other than the Lord. Even if they do, they see the Lord wherever they are. Their eyes are cast. So if you think of a devotee, that, that's probably the threshold till the point where you're seeking, seeking, seeking and you're still seeking the Lord and when you're seeking the Lord, there is a little bit of duality still. But once you cross that line, even if you happen to seek something, you're only seeking the Lord, right? Because you don't see anything other than the Lord. So we'll go to the next shloka, the 19th shloka. We'll listen to it and we'll discuss what Krishna says there. Bahunam Janmanamante Jnanavan Maam Prapadyate Vasudeva Sarvamiti Samahatma Sudurlabhaha At the end of many births, 
the wise man comes to me realizing that all this is vasudeva such a great soul is very hard to come by that is the 19th verse krishna makes a few important statements in that shloka and swami also highlights them for us in his gita vahini first thing is this is not something that is achieved instantly today i read a book of swami tomorrow i become a devotee day after tomorrow i become a jnani it doesn't work that way it is not even a 3 year course like your graduation or even a 12 year course like your schooling this journey takes many 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 lifetimes bahunam janmanam ante at the end of many many lifetimes jnanavan the wise one mam prapatyate approaches me so that is the first point that krishna makes this is a journey that takes time it is an arduous journey nevertheless it calls for merit earned over many lifetimes but this is being said not to discourage the aspirant just like we had discussed about this even when we were talking about the yoga brashtas the idea is not to discourage the aspirant it is not to scare you away each one of us should recognize how many lifetimes it has taken us to be where we are today today at this moment if we have turned to swami at this moment if we are displaying the slightest interest in spirituality we have not come here by chance we have not come here by accident it has taken lifetimes of good merit lifetimes of seeking to be where we are so this present moment this now is a summum bonum of all that effort it is a huge gift that is there in front of us right so this present moment contains in it our relentless efforts of so many lifetimes and that should give us a sense of responsibility that should give a sense of gratitude right and we should not miss this opportunity that is why this is being repeated so many times by krishna that you have not got here by chance you have not simply woken up one day and have started asking philosophical questions you have not by chance come and seen swami had swami's darshan and become a devotee right bahunam janmanam ante at the end of many 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 lifetimes you have come to be where you are today in the next line in the shloka krishna describes the jnani as vasudevaha sarvamiti he believes all this is vasudeva eventually the sign of a jnani is to be able to recognize that whatever one sees whoever one sees is divine we'll come back to that in a moment after we complete this first part of that statement krishna concludes that shloka by saying samahatma sudurlabham samahatma sudurlabah such a great soul is very hard to find i mentioned about swami's statement where the jnani does not lay his eyes on anything in the world and even if he does he sees only the lord in everything it is at this state that all ideas of jnani converge or merge whatever krishna spoke of in the second chapter third chapter fourth chapter whenever he described a jnani when he described the culmination of karma yoga that final state converges in this point 
one should be able to see the same divinity in oneself and in everyone around. And very interestingly, Krishna uses the name Vasudeva. Vasudevaha Sarvamithi. One who believes that the Vasudeva is in everyone. Swami explains, Vasudeva does not mean Krishna, the son of Vasudeva. That is indeed one of the names of Krishna. But here when Krishna says Vasudeva, Swami clearly states that there is a very profound meaning for that name Vasudeva. He who has made all beings his home is Vasudeva. Vasa also means to live, to stay somewhere, right? So Vasudeva is that Supreme Lord who has made every being his home. What a profound name that is Vasudeva, right? So Krishna says Vasudevaha Sarvamiti. When Krishna says that one who sees that Vasudeva everywhere, now if you look at it, it is again describing the jnani as being one who sees beyond names and forms, who sees beyond the physical body, who looks past the gunamayi maya and sees the resident lord, right? That is why the statement Vasudevaha Sarvam, Swami says itself is a mantra. I'll just read out that passage from the Gita Vahini where Swami clearly states that this ability to see the Lord in all is the standout quality of a jnani that Krishna is speaking about here. Swami says and I quote, Only a person who perceives the Lord in all beings deserves to be called a jnani. Others who call themselves a jnani are so only in name. They have no genuine experience of that wisdom. What exactly is spiritual wisdom or jnana? It is the possession of the knowledge that enables one to have knowledge of all. So it enables one to dispense with the knowledge of all else. This is the height that the wise one reaches. On the other hand, no one can claim to be wise who has simply learned a few verses by heart or skipped through a few books or ascended platforms with ten others and lectured for hours in full pride of scholarship, reeling off ponderous sentences like a magician with a ball of thread, pouring out what has earlier been swallowed. We have large numbers of such self-styled wise people going about now. Their dress is ochre but their hearts are ogre. Well, how can stones shine as gems? All stones are not precious stones. Who will assess a stone as equal to a gem? Only fools will be so misled, for they know neither the one nor the other. In the Gita, Krishna declared, Vasudeva is all this, Vasudevaha Sarvam, to be the king of mantras, just to counteract such pseudo-wise people, whose emergence he anticipated. That one mantra is sufficient to save all mankind. That is his indirect gift. Consider it as such and concentrate on it and its meaning. That is the highest good, the highest goal. These six Aksharas can alone make human life worthwhile.
end of quote. So when you say a jnani, when you talk of somebody as being the wise one, it is not about amount of knowledge you can hold in your mind, amount you can retain in your memory and then reel out it you know, when asked for. Swami says that Vasudeva Sarvam, that is the mantra and that is the goal. And so profoundly Swami says that you just have to concentrate on this one mantra. That is all that needs to be reached. Because this is the point where it all converges. Everything comes together at this point. One must be able to see God in oneself and the same Lord in each and every one. If you recall, even in the 6th chapter, Krishna said that same thing about the ultimate devotee. He says, Yomam pashyati sarvatra sarvam chamai pashyati He who sees me everywhere and sees everything in me. So it all converges to this experience of being able to see the Lord in each one. This alone is the touchstone for bhakti, for karma yoga and for jnana. In the end, this alone is the experience. So it's a very beautiful point where from the point of being one who chooses to do meritorious deeds, one who constantly chooses shreyas over prayas, one becomes a sukritinaha, one does good for many, many lifetimes and gathers merit in this manner. And slowly one turns to God, maybe to fulfill their own physical needs and small worldly needs, but nevertheless, the Lord he turns to is the same. Swami again says in a very beautiful analogy in the Nyanavaini, he says, you know, there is fire. For whatever reason you come near the fire, the fire will give you warmth. You know, if you're just going past that way, the fire will give you warmth. If you know the fire gives you warmth and then you come to it, it will give you warmth. The fire's giving is the same. And Swami says, similarly, God is like that. For whatever reason you come near God, God will give you grace. So this Sukritinaha will eventually be turned to God for whatever reason and will be drawn closer and closer and closer till the point where he seeks nothing but the Lord. That knowledge comes that there is nothing else worth seeking in this world. There is nothing else worth knowing in this world. He seeks and wants only the Lord. And from there, that tipping or the crossing of the threshold happens where one sees nothing but the Lord anywhere. Vasudeva Sarvam as Swami said, it's a mantra, right? Before we conclude, I would like to leave with a more practical thought. I'm not saying that what Krishna has been saying here is impractical. I'm saying in terms of what you and I can do in the present state. Again, this is not something new. I'm not saying something which I've not mentioned before. As we go through life, we will constantly keep making choices. And these choices are either to please ourselves, to gain something, to please the people around us, maybe out of fear, maybe out of greed. In some of these choices, Swami comes in sometimes, where we clearly know that this choice, if I take, Swami will like it. If I do this, Swami will like it. Many times, when we act according to that feeling, that this is what will make Swami happy, we may or may not gain something right away. Or even if we don't do it, we may or may not lose anything. But when we make that choice and say that maybe it's the way we dress, maybe it's the kind of food that we eat, maybe it's the way we interact with people, 
maybe the choices that we make in business. If we make a choice saying that I think this will please Swami, and I'm sure all of us would have been in that state, we do it nothing to gain. It's not that because I'm following this and saying that this is what Swami likes, Swami is going to come the very next day and reward me, or Swami is going to come and manifest Vibhuti in my house or whatever. No, it's, there may or may not be any rewards to it. But it's just that I am attaching that choice to Swami and I am saying, Swami, I think you will be happy with this. These kind of actions, though themselves may or may not have any spiritual relevance, but we attach Swami to those choices and in that way, those become spiritual acts of highest order. Right? In each one of those acts, when we say, Swami, I am doing this just for you, if I had not known you, if you had not been in my life, I probably would not have cared to take this choice. But because I know you, because I know you like this, I am doing this. When we choose like that, we are acting in a manner where you are saying that I don't want anything more. I want to please you, right? That is the state where you are bringing that attitude of a jnani into your present day life, right? And as we go through, as Swami said, we will find ourselves doing more and more of this, whether we are rewarded for it, we are not rewarded for it, whether we are recognized for it, we are not recognized for it, right? Whatever we do, we will find ways and means to please Swami. And then we are sanctifying our own life. With that thought, I'll conclude this episode. Dear listeners, thank you again for being with me, not just in this episode, for the 100 past episode. I really cannot thank you enough. I really cannot express my gratitude enough to Swami for making me an instrument to bring you all of this wonderful wisdom that he has left and in the process of bringing you this wisdom hopefully at least a little bit of it seeps inside that's been the prayer even as I'm speaking to you even I'm doing Shravanam even I'm doing Mananam and hopefully with Swami's grace there will also be a little bit of Nididhyasanam with that prayer, I most humbly offer this effort at Swami's lotus feet. Thank you, dear listeners, for joining me. I'll meet you all next week for the next episode of the Gita series, A Try on Pilgrimage.